Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Volts. With me, as always, my co-host and partner in crime, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you, bro? I'm doing very good, Volts. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing well, considering you know the state of affairs that the world is still in. Right. Uh, I guess the the oppression hasn't been let up. Maybe on maybe in some states um, where we're here in Pennsylvania, and uh, our king is. It's keeping us locked down for numerous reasons. Who knows? It's probably all political in some way. But, you know, we're all just doing our best and, uh, you know, fighting the fight that we can. Ah, you know what? I did um, I did stop by the liquor store over the weekend. And? It was open, not curbside. The entire store was open. Packed? I thought it would be. There wasn't. I don't think people knew that it was open. Wow. There was there was barely anybody in there. I had personal service from two different people. So you didn't have to touch anything, is that what you're saying? No, you could go in and touch everything. Oh. It, it was totally cool. I went in, uh, I got a bottle of Jack, got a bottle of vodka, and then I wanted a bottle, a special bottle of wine for my wife that I couldn't find, and I asked two different people, and they helped me find it right away. That's great. Well... In, in the state of Pennsylvania, our liquor is controlled by the Liquor Control Board in Pennsylvania State. So, if that gives you an indication of what's essential and what's not in our state, hey, I'm happy for it. So, that people can, if having some drinks is your thing, I'm all behind it. But uh, it's just like, man, but if you dare try and go get a haircut or whatever, and it's just, it's craziness. Oh, yeah, me and Steve right now, I mean, we wouldn't dare be seen at a public event for <laughs> Subtle Beast <laughs> if we were deemed essential enough to be able to do that anyway. But, you know, it's craziness because people are like, okay, when are we going to open up? Now, here in Pennsylvania, our phases are in colors, which starts in red, which means don't even leave your house. And then yellow, it's like, okay, a couple people, you can do this, but you better have masks, you better have sanitizer, you better be six feet apart, and you better maintain that. Then they're saying, then they're originally saying, once we go green, that's that's the level, that's the go, that everything will just be open. But now it's green, it's going to have some stipulations. So green's basically yellow. Greenish. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, they're merging into one another. And uh, quite frankly, we really don't know what's going on. But in our state right now, as I'm sure many others, um, it's time to discuss budget with uh, our governors. And uh, our senators aren't going to be standing for it. So if he wants the funding that he wants, then he's going to have to loosen his dictatorship and his grip. Because there's a lot of things going around. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, well, things won't get, I don't even want to say, get back to the way that they used to until there's a vaccine. Now, I'm not one person, personally, if there was a COVID vaccine out there. And let's just say this, Steve. If there was a COVID vaccine created and it was optional, would you get it? I mean, are you, are, do you typically get a flu vaccination? Uh, let me sidestep that question for one second, because when you were saying things are not going to get back to normal until there's a vaccine, I, I, I have this feeling kind of like post 9-11 where 
before the you know September tenth, everybody was one way. Then right. the the terrible attacks or whatever happened. Nine eleven happened, and then we never got. We never went back to what it was before. No, we didn't even question what was going on. I really don't think that we're ever going to get back to what it was before COVID. I think that there are now going to be people. What up until this year? Nobody was wearing masks, medical masks in in public at all. You would go to any anywhere, flea market, any market or mall, anywhere, and if somebody had a mask on, you thought to yourself, they must they must be going through chemotherapy or something of that nature. They must have a diminished immune system, right? Um, but now it is it is so commonplace that I feel like even with a vaccine. There will still be people that who are now conditioned to wear a mask. Sure. That are now going to go into public wearing a mask, and I, I don't know that at that point there. It, like I said, it's going. It's never going to be what it was. Well, private business could be completely changed too, because you could. All, you, on one hand, you'll have the people that just want to keep wearing a mask out of fear. And then you also have the business owners that are going to are going to require it in their business. Now, who knows? Will there be people that are just accepting? Well, you'll have the people that are wear their masks and maybe support them, but will that be the majority? Will that business go under under that uh, under their their policy? Um, I, I refuse to put a mask on, and a lot of the different places that I have been, people are just misinformed. Uh, I went to a 99 cent store recently to get American flags for Memorial day. And a gentleman just went crazy when I came in. Oh, I mean, I was greeted at the door, sir, you need to have a mask on. No, I don't I have a medical condition. It ended there perfectly. I got my stuff. I'm heading towards the, and some guy starts yelling, that man doesn't have a mask on. And the clerk explained, well, he has a medical condition. Well, if he doesn't put a mask on, we're all going to have a medical condition. I love how people can just make up their own laws. And that's what I was getting at because people keep saying, well, you have to have a mask on. It's a law. It is not. Well, I, I won't speak for a year, any other state other than Pennsylvania, but I happen to know for a fact it is not law in Pennsylvania because I've spoken to senators who have not voted on that. So this would be civics 101 to uh, how, it, how, how a bill becomes law. And it has been advised, it has been uh, barked at that you have a mask on to prevent the spread of this COVID-19, which, by the way, the Surgeon General has doubled down twice saying this is ridiculous, it doesn't work. And then you have guys like Fauci saying, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. I'm on TV with a mask, I'm not with a mask. I mean, so much contradiction, but I think that that, all that information is compiled to to create confusion. Because uh, then just a couple days ago, I went grocery shopping at, at a local store. I would say ballpark, at least 100 people in there. Now, I walked in. I wasn't questioned why I didn't have a mask on. But you know what? When you start to see 100 other people with masks on, I mean, it, it can be like almost intimidating to the point because you're like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm the lone wolf out here. But then it also can be it can be character building because it was like, wow, I'm, I'm the lone wolf in here. So I, I even told myself before you even start shopping, make a couple laps, get, a, get adjusted to these looks of death and these stares. And I would just look at people and be like, hello. <laughs> and, then, and then as I was leaving, I, uh, the manager thanked me. So if you're in Pennsylvania and you think that wearing a mask, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask by all means. But if you're, if you're wearing one because you think it's law, it is absolutely not law. There so 
So back to the original question. Okay. Uh, you had asked me if there was a vaccine available. I've heard that there are a couple of vaccines on the cusp of becoming not available to the masses, but um, accepted as viable. Uh, For COVID? Yes. There's one. Uh, AstraZeneca is a company that's that's very close with one of theirs. Uh, I believe there's a UK. There's a, a uh, UK-based company that is on the cusp of making one. So they are. I don't know that we'll get it in in time for the kids to go back to school. Uh, Trump was shooting for the end of 2020, uh, prior to 2021. I think that's more feasible. It would be an amazingly fast-tracked vaccine if we could get it in in the same year that the outbreak occurred. Uh, it generally takes a year and a half to get a, a, a viable vaccine. Yeah, it's craziness. I mean, uh, as far as school goes, I just don't understand how they're going to do that because they're saying that in our state, they're saying that it's possible that when the kids return to school that they have to be masks. Number one, my kids aren't doing that. My kids aren't going to go to school until things go back to the way that they were with no masks. And, and they say that they want 10 kids to a room. Now, in central Pennsylvania, schools are crowded. They're, they're, they usually average between 26 to 30 students. How are they going to do this? Are they going to make makeshift uh classrooms in the gym with a with a curtain no and then uh, and then anything got to think about what what's the new bathroom policy is going to be i mean geez i can't even imagine how many times are your kids hands going to come home raw from all of the, the sanitizer and how many times they have to watch it my kids just aren't going to go now my daughters are a little upset that they're going to be homeschooled for a while and i said if you, you know you can be mad at me I, I, I i'm making this decision for you but they said is this going to be forever i said look i said if it changes you know, you can go back to regular school. Right. Once once the kids become vaccinated, then everybody can go back to school. Right. Intermingle won't be a big deal. But I'm not sending my daughters to a school where they have to be masked. I'm sorry. Here in America, I, I, I just won't stand for it. So I don't know that you and I talked about that prior to today, but uh, I did talk about it to my wife. Uh, she actually talked about it she was leading the conversation and she said, would you consider, uh, so Jackson's five, my son is five and this would be his first year of kindergarten. Right. She said, would you consider not sending him until he's six? And I said, is, is that cool? Is that allowed? And she said, yeah, legally you don't have to send him. Uh, he could, he could just wait for a year. And I said, I would definitely, I would do that. Reason being is for the experience. Right. I, I know that he's acclimated socially. He's been in uh, preschool in two different places. I know that his um, spelling, uh, his, his letters. Super bright, super well-spoken for his age. Thank you. I, I think that he would be able to stay out of school. And I'm not saying that he's going to skip kindergarten. I'm just saying that it, he would go there a year later. And I'm saying that because of the experience. I don't want him to not get the experience. I want him to have a positive. This is the first time he's ever going to school. I want him to want to go to school. I don't want him to I agree. have red marks on the back of his ears from wearing a disposable mask or right. not being able to eat his lunch or go go to the lunchroom or have gym class. or You're, just, you're treating these kids Poorly, it seems from the outlook that I saw, they're not going to change classes. They're not going to change classrooms. Right. They're going to eat lunch in their classrooms. It's going to be like a jail. 
it's i mean you remember those classrooms when we were in school yeah and two to a table it's like you know you're sitting in there and you're baking you just it smells like it's not i don't want my kid to do that no i want i want my kids to reflect on school the way we do where it's just it was all, all i can think about remember is doing is laughing and having a good time right and, but Being now, man, it's, 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 it's it, I don't know. It's like a... It doesn't it, seem like a laughing and having a good time atmosphere. No, it definitely... It, it's going to be all business, unfortunately. And, you know, and that's where we were uh, led to our decision, too, was the fact, okay, well, if this is what's going on in the school, are the opinions of these teachers on board with these rules and what is being taught to my kids outside of our views, out of what we want to teach our kids as far as what we consider a threat as far as and whether you should be masked or not because number one it's a federal law where people can't gather in groups of uh more than (laughs) more than like six i believe with masks on in public with the with the uh with aside from like halloween so we're going against federal regulations right now but i think we'll we should maybe end that little rant right there and maybe get back to what we were talking about the vaccine. Right. That started off with uh, the vaccine question. The, the, the answer to answer your question, I did sidestep it. Yes. I would take the vaccine. I've, I've had flu vaccines. Um, I don't know that the flu vaccine ever worked. I don't know that I've ever really had the flu uh, and I don't get it every year. I didn't get it this year. So going into COVID, I didn't have a fresh flu shot. But if there was a vaccine available f- for COVID, I would uh, I would get it just to hedge my bets. I think it would be uh, beneficial for my family, for me with the exposure that I get to other people to have a little extra protection. So I well, think a lot of people's employers may make it mandatory. It could, that could very well be, and they would have every right to do that. Certainly, it, it could I be mean, beneficial to for me and the exposure that I have to to get that. I think I would survive COVID um, just with the immune system that I have the uh, and the, the history, my right. personal medical history, battling against disease and everybody takes it differently. Right. But I think that, and some people get it, they, they don't even feel this, the symptoms. Some people get it and you know, they're in the hospital for 10 days. Right. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to find out, and I'm sure I said this on past podcasts, whatever illness that four out of the six of us in my family had, I mean, it, it lines up with COVID. We had fever, we had, you know, the bronchial and it was, it was horrible. It was probably the worst flu I ever had. And it lasted for up to a week, but with prednisone and some antibiotics after a week, you know, I was better and I was able to actually be back in the gym. So I wouldn't be surprised. And I will say that it was the worst flu. However, there's no science right now for me to make a decision for not only myself, but my family to say that it's not like, uh, like another flu strain. Am I already immune? Because the, the, the conflicting information with the CDC was, at first, it lives on surfaces for, what, a couple days. Now they're saying they don't even think it lives on surfaces all that long. Right. They say it's hard for it to live at all on surfaces. It's not as easy as just touching it. And there were a bunch of computer models that were showing, like, someone touching a box and then passing that box and then the next person grabbing that box. And now the, and they're showing how easy it can spread, but... That's not necessarily the case. Right. And I mean, and the CDC also reports that even a, a statistical flu shot is, is, I think it's below 40%, which is, to me, I mean, that's failing. I mean, so four out of 10 people, or from what, no, four out of 100 people 
Four, yeah. four out of ten. Oh, four out of ten. Four yeah, out, yeah. Or but, forty out of hundred. That's dependent on the the year because they they guess it, they put more than one strain of flu in, and they they try to uh, get a good guess and you know an educated guess of what strain of flu it's going to closest close the the it's going to resemble a strain of flu and they'll take like three shots at it or uh then there's a, an advanced one that has seven versions of the flu which kind of increases the odds that they get a get your body to build antibodies to one of them um but yes there are years where it is very poor right so i mean for me i wouldn't take the vaccine and based upon uh well not only i don't even know if i'm already immune to that uh based on what i mean if it was covid which you know probably probably was i mean because it got four out of the six of us here and uh but uh what the term vaccine sometimes like when you talk about the vaccine for polio that eradicated polio right but if you talk about a flu vaccine that has not eradicated influenza Right, and it never will. And it, it never will. So, I mean, that term, maybe it should be something else. It shouldn't be vaccine. Yeah, you're right. There is uh, some wiggle room in the way that we use the word vaccine. Totally. And not only is there should be, a, in my opinion, different terminology for the flu vaccine, I think that there should be a little bit more research into who we're putting in charge of not only maybe creating, but heading up this whole drive for the vaccine to, to well, I'm just going to come out and say it, Bill Gates. Right. Bill Gates, it seems like he's pushing pretty hard for a vaccine. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there. I would say a majority of the people that I've talked to can't stand the man right now. Well, I think that he's... He's got his fingers in so many different pies. Um, this is just the latest one. He, he tries to, not terraform, but he tries to make these societal differences, almost like his legacy, and he's been doing it for a long time. Yeah, and, and I think that they're using his whole philanthropy uh, background and uh, all the good that he's done as a way to try and, comfort the people of, of the world i won't just say america into possibly taking this vaccine which we're not sure what it is and there's a lot of speculation on whether there could be contact tracing because again we're, we're talking about bill gates uh you know one of the most wealthy people in the world uh computer tech genius why would they be recruiting him? There's a lot of different philanthropists out there. There's a lot of other people that I look up to, aside from my views on Bill Gates and the vaccine, that I look up to way more than Bill Gates. Did he do a lot of great things for us? Yeah. Does he make society better with, with computers? Yeah. But stick to that because now I'm suspect of why they're bringing you in. And just like the rest of the world, well, I wouldn't say the rest of the world, but a majority of people started looking into Gates. And uh, what they started to find was uh, there could be a lot more corruption going on or sinister activity, if you will. So, uh, yeah, so that's where I'm standing on vaccine, especially anything coming from Bill Gates at this time. And again, until they, they have more information on whether we're, if you had it or whether you're immune to it. And 
So, but here we go. We're going to go into like the long, strange history <clears throat> of Bill Gates and his population control and how the billionaire th- uh, philanthropist uh, is claimed to have displaced George Soros as the chief boogeyman right now. So, three months into the global pandemic, Bill Gates has displaced George Soros as the chief boogeyman. In April, dozens of Texans crowded around Infowar host Alex Jones as an anti-shutdown demonstration in Austin, Texas, chanting, arrest Bill Gates, a New York-based tech nonprofit rumored to be working with Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to implant vaccine microchips into people, received so many death threats that it was contacted they contacted the FBI and the White House petition demanding the billionaire's foundation be investigated for medical malpractice and crimes against humanity amassed half a million signatures <clears throat> pardon me in only 3 weeks now gates who has announced that his 40 billion dollar foundation will shift its quote unquote total attention to fighting covid-19 has been accused of a range of misdeeds from scheming to profit off of a vaccine to creating the virus itself. Now, on April 8th, Fox News host Laura Ingram and Attorney General Bill Barr speculated about whether Gates would use digital certificates to monitor anyone who got vaccinated. So that's Attorney General Bill Barr of the United States questioning whether digital certificates will be used when Gates is involved with this vaccine. Now... A, uh, a broadcaster, Brandon Howes of Worldview Watch, warned that Gates and the medical globalist deep state were using the crisis to regulate people's fertility, depending on their worldview, through a procreation ticket and microchips. On Instagram, anti-vaccination activist Robert F. Kennedy Jr. posted a video featuring a 1984-style audience listening to Gates with a text declaring that the Microsoft founder is conducting global social and medical experimentation via the World Health Organization. The New York Times noted that the misinformation about Gates has become the most world-spread of all coronavirus falsehoods trending online. Well, of course the New York Times is going to say that. But while these themes have fled into groups such as QAnon and others and anti-vaccination proponents since January, theories involving Gates actually have much longer history. Accusations that he has sinister plans to control or experiment on the public under the guise of medical charity date back at least a decade, including to an obscure and different political fight in Ghana. Now, a new war was happened over the birth control in Africa. In 2010, a former staffer with the Government Health Initiative in Ghana made a shocking claim a project partially funded by the Gates Foundation had tested the contraceptive Depro-Provera on unsuspecting villagers in the remote region of Narongo as a part of an illicit population experiment. The woman making the charge was the Ghanaian-born U.S.-educated communications officer for another Gates-funded initiative by the Ghanaian government and Columbia University to use mobile phones to improve health care access for rural women and children. Now, she previously attempted to sue her employer for multi-million dollars at settlement when, after repeated clashes with her boss, her contract just wasn't renewed. 
The lawsuit fizzled out, but with help from a small U.S. nonprofit called the Rebecca Project for Human Rights, she shopped a series of stories to Ghana tabloid press. The Depa Provera story caused national scandal. Although it was denounced by the Ghanaian health professionals and traditional leaders as, as libelous, 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 Pardon me. The Narongo Project hadn't tested any medications, so many death threats were directed at the project that some staff had to be evacuated across the Burkina Faso border. Now, the new narrative was that Gates was waging chemical warfare. The episode would mark the opening shot in the new war over birth control in Africa. It also reflected an evolution in the U.S. anti-abortion movement strategy, in which it started to co-opt the language of women and civil rights used by progressives. There were fewer bloody fetus posters and more talk about how abortion and contraception violated women's safety and impeded racial justice. Now, anti-abortion groups, they hired black activists and highlighted uglier aspects of the history of reproductive health care. In particular, the courting of the eugenics movement by Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger in the early part of the 20th century. Now, a documentary called Ma'afa 21, Black Genocide in 21st Century America, used a Swahili word that refers to the Holocaust of African enslavement to denounce Planned Parenthood as racist. Billboards in Atlanta and Manhattan cried messages like, the most dangerous place for an African American is in the womb, and federal and state legislators proposed a series of bills banning race and sex-selective abortions in order to insinuate that abortion providers deliver target communities of color it just gets wild and wild i just need to uh, wet my whistle here real quick okay because we're we're only just getting started so as black feminists pointed out these groups cared little for women or civil rights in general or black women's well-being in particular a 2009 u.s house bill titled the Susan B. Anthony and the Fred Frederick Douglass Prenatal Non-Discrimination Act was co-sponsored by the champion of the Confederate flag. But the strategy exploited the real and painful history of the medical abuses against people of color in the U.S., from the compulsory or the coercive sterilization campaigns from the 1910s to the 60s, including the steril sterilization of a third of all Puerto Rican mothers between 20 and 49 years old by 1965, to unsafe contraceptives marketed to poor women of color from 1970s to the 1990s, and the legacy of those abuses could be profound. In a 2016 study found that the notorious Tuskegee study, wherein hundreds of black men were left with untreated syphilis so that the U.S. government researchers could track the progress of the disease. It led to such mistrust of the medical establishment that it reduced the life expectancy in the generation of black men by more than a year. Now, the Rebecca Project, a small Washington-based nonprofit, focused on issues disproportionately affecting women of color, hadn't been involved on either side of the abortion fight. But in 2011, the group released a thinly sourced report titled The Non-Consensual Research in Africa, The Outsourcing of Tuskegee outlining what it claimed was a series of unethical U.S.-backed medical experiments in Africa. Some of the examples were documented stories of legitimate concern. For instance, HIV-positive women in Southern Africa had been pressured into sterilization procedures by local healthcare entities. 
The report attempted to link them to shakier allegations of U.S. aid funding being used for coercive sterilization campaigns in other countries. But the report's real target, it seemed, was the Gates-backed health initiative, Navrongo. Later, the report's lead author would suggest that people involved with the project should be charged with attempted genocide. The report had numerous factual problems. Its author, the Rebecca Project's chief financial officer, Kawame Fasu, also hadn't disclosed a significant conflict of interest. The employee who leveled the charges against the Ghana Project was the mother of his child. The fallout wound up splitting the organization as one of its founders and several staff departed, taking with them all of the Rebecca Project's funding. Left with the group's name, Fasu doubled down on his claims. Now, in 2013, Fasu published another report, The Depra Provera, Deadly Reproductive Violence Against Women. Drawing heavily on unnamed sources, paranoid accusations, and the rhetoric of uh, right-wing anti-abortion groups, this report would use the Ghana story to anchor claims of massive international conspiracy. And it was led by the Gates Foundation to push dangerous contraceptives on poor black women as means of decreasing African births and advancing population control ideology. Now, Fasu brought the Rebecca Project into alliance with a network of conservative Catholic nonprofits like CFAM and the Population Research Institute that had long focused on fighting reproductive rights in developing nations or at the United Nations. His new allies began publicizing Fasu's claims to a large audience of conservatives, arguing that he had uncovered the smoking gun, confirming the long-held suspicions. As the head of the PRI put it, the population controllers will stop at nothing to stop African women from having children. By 2014, the Rebecca Project was focusing full-time on the scourge of Depro-Provera. At the same time, the Gates Foundation was undertaking a new mission to radically expand contraceptive access to women in Africa, including with a new low-dose adaptation of Deprevera. The foundation's family planning campaign had already drawn predictable backlash from religious groups, but a U.S. anti-abortion group and website circulated the Rebecca's Project allegations. The opposition was no longer dominated by complaints that the Gates was tempting African women to defy their faith. The new narrative was that Gates was waging chemical warfare on poor women in the neocolonial effort to suppress African births. Soon, powerful figures across Africa were making similar claims, undermining vital public health projects in the process. And in 2014, Zimbabwe's Registrar General, Tumbawe Mudedi, the official responsible for overseeing the country's dubious elections, warned women to avoid modern contraceptive because they caused cancer and were a Western ploy to limit African population growth. In 2015, Mudedi told parliaments, Western countries are bent on curtailing the population of the darker races of the world, according to Parliament Committee. Now, Mudedi's campaign panicked Zimbabwe women who flooded into clinics to have contraceptive implants removed. In Kenya, all 27 members of the nation's Conference of Catholic Bishops declared that the WHO and UNICEF campaign to administer neonatal tetanus vaccines to women of childbearing age was a really disguised population control program. According to the bishops, the vaccines were laced with a hormone <clears throat> that would cause repeated miscarriages and eventual sterility. The same Catholic network the Rebecca Project had allied itself with 
published numerous stories amplifying the bishop's accusation and casting doubt on the government's response. The Kenyan parliament was forced to have the vaccine tested repeatedly, but by the time the claims were debunked, priests around Kenya had allegedly instructed their congregants to refuse the vaccine. Now, back in the U.S., Faso had also worked with CFAM to lobby delegates from African nations with some success. After a meeting of the commissions on the status of women, a regional grouping of African countries released an unprecedented statement expressing concerns over harmful contraceptives echoing specific claims by Faso and his allies. The next month, the Commission of Population and Development delegates couldn't agree on the outcome document for the first time in the Commission's 48 years. The result, conservative advocates claimed, of African and other developing nations, frustration with the profusion of reference to population control, adolescent sexual activity, abortion, and comprehensive sexual education. Wow. So undermining confidence in the coronavirus vaccine. The Rebecca Project has long since faded into obscurity, but the current attacks on Gates and his foundation are now broadcasting the same themes to a massive global audience. In April, Trump boosters Diamond and Silk vowed they would never take a vaccine created by Gates because he sought to make Africans guinea pigs. I have a problem receiving a vaccine from any entity, especially anybody like Bill Gates who pushed for population control. The same thing that Margaret Sanger pushed for, Diamond said. Abortions. Genocide, Silk explained. In response to these and other theories, including their connection that the virus was a pandemic, Fox Nation reportedly cut ties with the pair, but Diamond and Silk weren't alone. A commentator, Candace Owens, tweeted in April, Vaccine criminal Bill Gates had used African and Indian tribal children to experiment with non-FDA-approved drug vaccines. Last week, she declared that under no circumstance will I be getting any coronavirus vaccine that becomes available, ever, no matter what. In the U.S. alone, nearly a third of Americans say they refused a coronavirus vaccine. An InfoWars video suggested that Gates was the successor of the eugenics population controllers from Sanger to Nazi collaborators and asked whether viewers would allow your government to impose forced vaccines. In a viral sermon, Reverend Danny Jones, the pastor of 250-member Georgia Church, predicted that Gates would use the vaccine to usher in new world order under which Christians might be at force to accept a biometric tattoo. On Twitter, hundreds of posts claims that the billionaire had publicly said the vaccines could be used to lower the population by 10 to 15 percent. This was an old misrepresentation of Gates, suggesting that the increased vaccination rates in the developing world could slow population growth, since families in which more children survive to adulthood have fewer children overall. Now, doctored photographs of that people are claiming suggesting the Gates Foundation was running the Center for Human Population Reduction. I saw this picture. Yeah, it was false because all you had to do was Google the actual place. And but whoever did it, it they they were they were craftsmen at uh, what do you call that? Manipulating pictures. And now, anti-vaxxers proponents began sharing old CFAM articles as the proof that Gates thinks there are too many Africans. And the White House petition resurrected the old Kenyan controversy, informing new believers that Gates already been credibly accused of intentionally sterilizing Kenya children through the use of a hidden HCG antigen in the tetanus vaccine. 
Now, by Saturday, the Gates population control narrative had made its way onto conservative network One American News, quoting an anti-social distancing protester who charged, this is not about COVID or about a virus. This is about gaining control over the human race and limiting population. Anti-Gate theories have resurfaced in Africa as well. Unfound rumors that Gates had bribed Nigerian lawmakers to pass a compulsory vaccination bill sparked a legislative investigation there. African Twitter influencers posted threads linking him not just to population control, but the entire history of colonialist medical violence. One described the foundation's family planning work as genocide in the sub-Saharan Africa. Another suggested that Gates would turn toxic COVID-19 vaccines to depopulate South Africa next, since it had become clear that his depot is not working fast enough. Nancy Rosenblum, author of A Lot of People Are Saying, The New Conspiracism and the Assault on Democracy, said that some people may simply see the proliferation of these narratives as vehicle to advance their agenda, exploiting their swirling outrage around Gates to introduce fringe arguments to a much larger audience. To Quasium Cosm, right? Yep. <laughs> the author of the book Conspiracy Theories, the anti-Gates attacks reflect a larger global trend towards populism, characterized by profound distrust of the establishment and experts. Now, if you say Gates are big corporations who are responsible for developing coronavirus via 5G, these are all ways of expressing anti-elitist sentiment. Kasim said they're fantasies, but they're fantasies that give expression to real things in their lives. The potential impact of such fantasies could be dire. The legacy of medical abuses against people of color helped give rise to HIV AIDS. Rosenblum noted from claims that it was a government-crafted bioweapon to charges that, life, that life-saving medications were poison. Now, after the latter theory was adopted by South Africa former President Thabo Mbeki, Harvard University researchers found it was responsible for more than 330,000 unnecessary deaths. The Gates Foundation has already committed $300 million to fighting the coronavirus and finding a vaccine. That's like us donating like 50 bucks, if that. Tens of millions of that sum are dedicated to ensuring that the vaccines are distributed in poor countries. Theorists suggesting an eventual vaccine is part of a nefarious plot could leave many of the world's most vulnerable at greater risk. In the U.S. alone, late April survey found nearly a third of Americans say they'll refuse the vaccine. Now, of course, the same side that is accusing Gates of planning an imp- imminent eugenics attack is also loudly pushing to reopen the economy. Even though this will almost undoubtedly come at a cost of thousands of lives, overwhelming people of color, rather than reckon with the reality, Republican leaders have argued that there are more important things than living, and the public will have to accept massive new casualties. Now, Wisconsin's Chief Justice dismissed superclusters of infection in the minority-staffed meatpacking industry as distinct from the threat posed to regular folks. One local California official mused that allowing the virus to run rampant through the ranks of the homeless, the old, the sick, and the poor represents a natural process of calling the herd. That could lighten Social Security and health care burdens and free up jobs and housing. Against this backdrop, Claims of eugenics or population control begin to seem not just so disingenuous, but like the most immoral form of projection. 
So thank the, you, man. Thank you so much. Hey, was, we had to cover both sides of that argument. Yeah, so that interesting. Was, there's so much there. First of all, uh, shout out to Catherine Joyce. Fantastic article. Mm-hmm. The the um, the background on Gates there. Uh, no wonder people don't want to take his his vaccine. Yeah, I mean myself included. I mean, he's already been rightfully accused of putting HCG in his vaccines that he's already given out in Africa. Right. That's uh, that's the part where if you're doing that kind of stuff already, then people aren't going to want to take your vaccine. Correct. Uh, I mean, I mean, it just, I mean, I, I believe that the next section we're going to get into is going to explain a, a livelihood of a, uh, of death, I guess, in their family, if you will. But the fact that he could, they were saying about the uh, biometric tattoo. Yeah. And also the um, making it electronic, the vaccine that has the tag in it so that they can electronically tell who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been vaccinated. Sure. Those seem real. I mean, is that real stuff? Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, I saw, I mean, our attorney general Barr, it was a concern of his that uh, Bill Gates is going to be using a tracking system of some sort in uh, in the vaccine. So, I mean, if that if that's the attorney general of the United States and he has that concern over Bill Gates, I mean, it it could definitely be done. I mean, we have we have drones now that are the size of mosquitoes. I mean, we have nanotechnology that in the next twenty years is going to be rebuilding probably human body parts. So, can this be done? In my opinion, yeah. Is Bill Gates probably behind it? I'm thinking, yeah, just based off of a uh, research. And I mean, we're trying to we're trying to deliver to you basically just the cliff notes behind what this guy is doing and what his family has always been behind. So it's twofold. You have him already using uh, vaccines to distribute chemicals for world population. Right. That's on one side. On the other side, you have him possibly using electronic tracking devices inside the vaccine, which are an actual thing and could easily be be, uh, created. So there's two things that if you told me, like I was talking about that AstraZeneca vaccine, that they that a different company was putting the vaccine out, I would feel com- comfortable. I would feel confident in it. But if you told me that this is the Gates vaccine, I would I would feel so- some sort of way about it. I definitely feel some sort of way about it. And here's the thing: I mean, what do people of the world do if the if the world powers come together and say it's mandatory or you or you can't go anywhere? I mean, at that point, it would be. I mean, that would be a violation of just your basic civil rights and possibly even religious beliefs. I mean, I mean, I just I don't see why they'd be doing it. Because here's another argument. Okay, let's just say that <clears throat> let's just split the world in half. Let's say 50% are like, yep, I'll take the Gates vaccine. And the other half <clears throat> are like, no way in hell, I'm never taking it. Well, wouldn't that be enough? Because if half the world got the vaccine, but the other half didn't get the vaccine, well, I guess the people that got the quote-unquote vaccine, they have nothing to worry about. You have no worries of ever getting COVID-19 because, like polio, you got the vaccine. So now you don't have to worry. So you shouldn't have to worry about wearing a mask. You shouldn't worry if I have to wear a mask because you're immune now, just like uh, my children will never get chicken pox because they got the chicken pox vaccine. So they never will get it. So 
where do, where do we stand on that? So does everybody have to have it or does half the world have to get it? I mean, if you're, if you're talking about half, the ha- half, that's the part where if half pe- the people get it and half of them don't, and out of that, the second half that didn't get it, a significant uh, percentage of those became sick or unable to work then you're, you're throwing economic factors into it, like the infrastructure, not enough people paying taxes, roads not being able to be kept up, sewage plants, water plants, things of that nature to keep society up and running. So it would have to be, I don't know that it would be half anyway. If 30% of the people are saying that they're not going to take it and half of them actually don't take it and we got the number down to 15% and then only a significant portion of that percentage became sick that we could we could handle but if if half the people just drop dead that we know it would be a humongous impact on the rest of us even even the the healthy people right and i mean i'm just going to use uh, our state as a reference so they're saying that in our state we had 5000 deaths of pennsylvania and a uh, majority of them took place in uh the nursing homes which our uh, wonderful secretary of health <coughs> who has no credentials to be the secretary of health. Uh, they originally thought that she was following suit of New York and New Jersey of making it mandatory to have uh, COVID patients to take the COVID patients, take the COVID back. patients that tested patients that pe- tested positive for COVID back in nursing homes with the elderly, the most at risk group. Now, you would think to yourself, oh, oh my gosh, I wonder if, she, if, she, if her mom was in that facility, if she would make the same choice. Oh, yeah, her mom was in that facility, but guess what? The day before that she made that declaration, she got dear old mom out there and took her to a suite somewhere uh, <clears throat> in the suburbs of a Harrisburg area, and then the next day started letting COVID-19 in. So her mom is more important than all of uh, the other mothers and fathers and family members, brothers, sisters that died. So we just need to remember that, that her mom and her beliefs are more important than everybody in Pennsylvania. So again, but there was 5,000 deaths in Pennsylvania and there's what? 12.3 million people in Pennsylvania. Yep. Would that justify a vaccine? I don't believe that it would. So then we could even do that on a grander scale, which I I believe that we did. Didn't we with uh, the yeah. average COVID night or the average uh, was it was it was worldwide one over one million people have been infected over eighty thousand deaths. So at this point, it's point. Oh, no, that was that was U.S. That was federal. Uh, yeah, federally, one million people have been infected. Eighty thousand, almost a hundred thousand deaths in America. Right. So just in within the United States, point zero zero two three. Yeah, two thousandths. Yes, it's thousandths. Point two three thousandths of a percent of the population has passed away from COVID. It's crazy. I'll tell you another good statistic when you're talking about those that type of number. The average age of a COVID death is higher than the average age of death. Now, we're going to have Steve say that one more time. Right. So, if... You take an average of everybody that died of COVID, say that average is 82 years old. The average life expectancy of a human, male or female, male I believe is 76, female is 78, is lower than that. So 
the people who are dying, not that not that any breath of life isn't precious. That, that's not what I'm saying at all. Of course I'm just not. saying the statistic is, is stating that the people who are dying from COVID are people who have surpassed the average life expectancy in the United States. And probably had another complication along with it. And even if they didn't, if they're, if they, if, if they're in their 80s, I mean, the CDC reports uh, between 60 and 80,000 elderly deaths a year just to the flu. So, you know, and I'm not arguing that COVID-19 is not more powerful than your typical flu strain because, again, like I said, if that's what I had, it, it knocked us on our butts. But take, take it back to um – Rachel Levine there for a second. Sure. She was acting in a very me way. It's all she cared about because she knew that she was going to have to enforce this. Now, wouldn't you think that somebody that's in charge of the health of your entire state would have said at the very least, we are going to be making, it's going to be mandatory to allow COVID-19 patients back into the care for the the medical facilities where you, where your loved ones are. If you can get them out for an expended or extended period of time, um, if you have the means, if you can, or have them stay with family members, I'm going to be doing that with my mother who stays at X facility. Right. And that, and if she would have uh, come out ahead of time and said that i think a lot of people would have respected that and i think there would have been a run on the um old folks homes i think everybody would have gone and gotten their mom out everybody would have gone and gotten their dad out because they she would have been saying hey and it would it's simple economics somebody goes to the hospital who's on uh medicare medicaid and they get treated for covid whatever they need and you know, four days goes by, they're getting better. Five days goes by, they get released. But that doesn't mean that they don't have COVID. Right. They weren't testing those people on the way out the door to make sure that they didn't have COVID because if they did, they'd be in the hospital for another nine to 10 days. Yeah. And they would be, yeah, they'd be locked down. And again, you wouldn't be able to see your family. They were keeping them alive. They were keeping them up and running and getting them back to the homes. So instead of creating a ward of sick people at the hospital, they created an infestation plant, a a place where COVID could run rampant unchecked in these old folks' homes. Right. So, And and it goes back to, I think that type of decision from government is is profoundly population control. Population control and genocide as well. I mean... No time in no time in history did we quarantine the well. We've always quarantined the sick, which except this time, except for this time, we're all paying the price. Businesses that have been around for 50, 80 years are going bankrupt. Uh, so if companies like this, large scale companies are going under, but they expect the average American person to be able to ride this out without a paycheck. And with that with $1,200 that they gave, or if you were lucky enough to get through to the unemployment that you're making $600 a week, I know some people that uh, are standing up for the stay-at-home order, a lot of it has to do with they're making more money now than they were at their job. Now, God bless them. I hope that's helping your families. But don't don't make a stance for other people to not be able to go to work and to be able to make what they make, not more than what they make. I think... Uh, a lot of people are just like barking at each other in this issue, and there's not a whole lot of listening. Um, we do our best to be able to cover both sides of it and then let you be the judge. We, we have our opinions, and we'll let you know what they are, but we'll never try and push them on you. So, so let me bring it back around. 
uh, my point with Rachel Levine bringing her back up was that she made a selfish decision and it was because she had the power to do so. And I've found that a lot of times that happens. If you, if you had a loved one, you would do everything in your power to make a decision for the best of their being, whether it's selfish or not. And that's when we're talking about Gates and his power and him being just and um, he's a he's an, he's a person he's going to make some selfish decisions and those selfish decisions are going to impact worldwide that's the thing because he has such great scale and we're talking about a worldwide vaccine and, and you think when Fultz or I say that you know these people are they're, they're influencing with population control listen to this right here Bill Gates's father was the head of Planned Parenthood. Indeed. This may have inspired his abortion and population control views. In a lengthy interview with Bill Moyers released, Microsoft billionaire Bill Gates reveals the inspiration for his funding of pro-abortion population control measures. Responding by... Uh, to a question by Moyer on how he came to fund reproductive issues, Gates answered, When I was growing up, my parents were always involved in various volunteer things. My dad was head of Planned Parenthood, and it was very controversial to be involved with that. And so it's fascinating. At the dinner table, my parents are very good at sharing the things that they were doing and almost treating us like we were adults talking about that. In the interview, Gates says he is moved by measurable progress and on safe birth reproductive family planning issues. There's a measurable impact when you can go in and educate families, but primarily women, about their different choices. There's real impact that you can have in this area. Anything to do with the reproductive health. He claims that he has seen beyond the multitude the Malthusian conceptions of useless eaters since, he says, he has seen that by improving health and education, population decreases as parents decide to have less children. Despite all his distancing from Malthus, Gates remains steadfast to the unfounded Malthusian fear of overpopulation. Uh, and this ends with, see the transcript of the interview uh, at a web at the pbs.org website yeah so everything that that was stated in in that article you can you can look up the transcript for yourself so we're not we're not pushing any malarkey here so he's got that background you know his mom and dad talked at the dinner table about overpopulation and he's got the power to put something in this vaccine that would create a 10 to 15 percent decrease in the population of the world don't you think he could selfishly act kind of like Levine did, Rachel Levine did, just as a human being and say, I'm going to make this happen because I can? Well, there's, there's, there's a lot of different uh, situations you could look at. You could look at it that he's looking at it self selfishly for he and his own family's gain. You could look at it that uh, potentially being forced by deep state we need the smartest man we need a philanthropist you're going to do this or this is what's going to happen to your companies your family or whatever it you don't know however what do you do do you do that when you know that potentially you're going to be killing 
millions of people or leading to the imprisonment of and the tracking of millions of people with your vaccine. Is that your, is that your legacy for you selfishly, you know, now as a father, of course, I would always want to protect my family, but I wouldn't be bullied into genocide. So, I mean, can I, can I prevent what the government would do to me if I deny? No, but I know that I'd be morally in that, that I'd be in check throughout history as the person that didn't uh, do this in the most vulnerable time in, you know, most of the people that are alive today's history. Yes. I've, I've heard this uh, statement. If you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. Absolutely. And, uh, and a great quote by uh, Benjamin Franklin, if we all don't hang together, we'll surely hang separately. And, um, you know, and it, to go back to Bill Gates' dad being the head of Planned Parenthood, it, uh, it just it brings up this thought. Um, now, I don't know where anybody stands on, on, on the side of abortion, but uh, for, for this statement, it's, it's really immaterial. But a lot of people will always claim, uh, my body, my choice. So if, if, if that's, if, and that's fine, if that's your choice and that's what you want to do, I agree that's your body, that's your choice, you do whatever you want. Okay. That maybe that be my stance, but I'm saying, you know, as a person, that's what you should do. Now, what about these quote unquote mask laws? Does that go out the window then too? Or does it, is it only my choice or in my body when, if you believe abortion is killing, is killing somebody or but not when it comes to masks. You have to, you have to wear a mask because you have to protect everyone. But uh, Planned Parenthood has been deemed essential throughout the U.S. Yeah, I really hate the way they turned that on the public and said, it's now your responsibility to save everyone. But, hey, look back. Oh, God, it's probably going back three years on the episode we did on recycling. They, the, the, the big companies did the same thing to us. You're in charge of recycling and putting the plastic away. Not not them who decided to save money and put everything in plastic bottles because, hey, when I was a kid, soda was in glass. No. And they, they, they use propaganda to oh, clean up the prop or clean up the world. Then they shame you into like making other people do it when ultimately, if they would just go back to glass, we could really recycle because I know we're sidetracked, but because what we learned in that episode is that recycling doesn't work. No, it's the same sentiment. It's a sidetrack, but it's the same sentiment. It's it's the the governmental uh, push to make you should not feel as if by not wearing a mask you're hurting someone else. What the way they should have said it is, if you are immune suppressed, then wear a mask to save yourself. Right. That's what this whole thing has been asked backwards. It really Instead has. of quarantining the people that know that they need to be quarantined, they quarantine the people that didn't need to be quarantined. Right. And then they question why people say that it's a pandemic because this isn't in my opinion this is this isn't about a virus. I think that this has a lot to do with a uh, uh, voting manipulation, voting by mail. I mean, there's been so much fraud already. I mean, I, I'm sure I've mentioned in the past that you know we have a group on Facebook, and the, the the pictures that have come in with people getting sent multiple mail-in ballots, not for their party, but for the opposite party. I mean, there's so much going on right now, and I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about Trump. I mean, like we've always stated, both sides are corrupt, but. Uh, it looks like it might be an attack at him. Um, 
it they, does look like they, they tried to like, impeach him. So then they moved. Then we had this big disaster and you know, that, 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 we, that we were warned about, you know, years ago. It was ago. immediately following the impeachment too. It totally was. It totally, totally was. And then you had people like Nancy Pelosi out in the state of California, all the hotels out there that, well, they couldn't, they couldn't take in guests, but they had to take in the homeless and okay, great. So now the homeless have a place to stay, but then the state started supplying these homeless with their alcohol and their illicit drug of choice. Now, if that's not trying to convince voter manipulation, I don't know what is. I mean, if you're homeless and an alcohol and drug abuser, you're in the Hotel California, literally. (laughs) (laughs) You may check in, but you'll never leave because that's the thing. I mean, what about with squatting laws? How do you get them out of there then? Oh, so now the same people that put you in there, now they're going to send in with the National Guard or the... (laughs) As soon as they get what they want. To pull you out? Right. As soon as they get what they want. Of course. Of course. So, okay, well, let's go a little bit further. So, along with Bill Gates, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of uh, Event 201. Now, if you haven't, we'll give you a little breakdown of uh, of what that is and, and how Gates is involved. Now, Event 201, the John Hopkins Center for Health Security in partnership with the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation hosted Event 201. It was a high-level pandemic exercise on October 18th, 2019 in New York, New York. The exercise illustrated areas where the public and private partnerships will be necessary during the response to a severe pandemic in order to diminish large-scale economic and societal consequences. Now, in recent years, the world has been growing number of epidemic events amounting to approximately 200 events annually. These events are increasing and they are disruptive to health economies and society. Managing these events already strains global capacity and an absence of a pandemic threat. Experts agree that it's only a matter of time before one of these epidemics becomes global. A pandemic with potentially catastrophic consequences. A severe pandemic, which becomes Event 201, would require reliable cooperation among several industries, national governments, and key international institutions. So that's what uh, Bill Gates was heading up, was a... Event 201, and that was in October of 2019. So why is Gates denying all the information or even denying Event 201 itself? Now, in October of 2019, Microsoft founder Bill Gates, who together with his wife runs the richest and most powerful foundation in the world, co-organized a simulation exercise on a worldwide corona epidemic. Videos were posted documenting the exercise, but intriguingly, Gates now denies such an exercise ever took place. Why? On April 12th, 2020, Bill Gates said in an interview to the BBC, Now here we are. We didn't simulate this. We didn't practice. So both the health policies and economic policies we find ourselves in are in uncharted territory. Now, this is the same person who just six months before the outbreak of the pandemic organized a series of four role-playing simulations of corona pandemic with a very high-ranking participants. Event 201 was a simulation of corona pandemic conducted by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum, and the Johns Hopkins University in October of 2019. Participants from the private and public sectors were presented with a scenario not unlike the one that has unfolded in reality and discussed what needed to be done. 
There are official videos of the four meetings and best of the video scenario presentation and discussion by the participants who are members of the Pandemic Control Council in the role play. Now, it is true that if a little less emphasis had been placed on opinion manipulation, more attention could have been paid to the health and economic policy. One of the four meetings was entirely devoted to this, but health and economic policies did get discussed. Gates can hardly have forgotten that. The video on control on public opinion is the most interesting one, as it helps to put in perspective the efforts in this regard, which, are currently, which we are currently experiencing. One participant tells us that Bill Gates is financing work on algorithms, which comb through the information of social media to make sure that people can trust the information they find there. And I'll tell you what, and I just made an announcement in my groups yesterday that I have to stop approving anything that comes in that people are putting in with Bill Gates because as soon as we put it out there, bang, it gets flagged and we get hit with a notification that if you get too, more of the, too many of these notifications, we're going to shut you down. Oh, rest in peace, First Amendment. So, uh, let's see, where were we? Okay, okay. And Chinese participant, and they had a Chinese participant, the head of the Chinese Center for D Disease Control muses about ways to counter rumors that the virus is man-made. Now remember, this exercise took place in October of 2019 before the current pandemic broke out. So, what do you think? Well, I think if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. I certainly do. So a lot of people might say, oh, well, you know, maybe he's just trying to help out everybody. He's not, he's not trying to make any, uh, make any money off this. Steve, what was the recent estimate that he would make for the vaccination? If, if Bill Gates had <coughs> got, if there was a race to the vaccine and the uh, Bill Gates and Melinda Gates Foundation were to win that race and have the only vaccine for coronavirus worldwide, there is $31.5 billion out there to be made by vaccinating the entire world for a novel corona disease such as COVID-19. Right. Oh, and I, I, I don't think that we should fail to mention that uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci was also present at Event 201. He was, yes. You know, the guy that says, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Today, I'm going to wear a mask. You shouldn't wear a mask. And the latest, I guess, it's endangering you more, which I guess the CDC and the Surgeon General have been saying since the beginning. Um, interestingly, um, you know, people will say, well, how do you connect the dots? Well, sometimes it's as simple as um, when this whole thing started, you know, the, the one term that I can't stand the most, social distancing. So I was like, I started to do something. Let's see, when was the first mention of social distancing? So I started doing a little digging, and I found an article that started talking about in the event of a pandemic that uh, social distancing would need to be put in order. This was an article I found uh, dated from 2006. They were talking about this. So then I was digging a little further, and then I found this article from the same year talking about how over time though they'll change the uh, they'll change the word from, or the words from social distancing to physical distancing which i thought was interesting and i shared that with my wife and i was like hey just 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 know that soon physical distancing will start being being the term well sure enough we got an, an email today about a about a trip that we wanted or that we are going to take over the summertime and uh, it was some of the requirements for the area and the word social distancing was replaced with physical distancing. So now it almost seems like they want you to take the social aspect out of it. You, you don't even need to talk to anybody. Now you need to physical distance and just stay away. 
So more fear mongering, in my opinion. That seems like a tougher term. Yeah, physical distancing. You you need to stay way away from me. It's it's almost like you don't even want to talk to somebody because like physical distancing. But get away from me. <laughs> it's like you don't want to talk to them. Social distancing. Hey, how you doing? Hey, from over here. Yeah. But uh, oh yeah, and another thing, I was telling Stephen pre-show. Um, I'm just gonna read it <clears throat> because uh, you know, on social media, sometimes they remind you of stuff that <clears throat> that comes up or that you had done or posted about. Now. I, that happened to me, and, and a post came up that I was posting into a certain group. Now, this was back in 2014, and this is just something that I wrote. So I was at the doctor this morning, and we started talking about the Ebola virus, because if you remember back in 2014, there was a huge Ebola scare. Two people in Texas had it. <clears throat> now, it is something we have already been thinking about, <clears throat> but to hear it come from a man who has contact with the CDC on the regular, it was very eye-opening. <clears throat> what he said was that he, just like I have thought, that the non-containment of this virus and and, sh- and not shutting down the flights and everything else is intentional so that they can enact martial law. And then when that is done, <clears throat> then... <clears throat> Oh, then the, uh, then I put then obviously maybe they'll try and get the president into a third term that didn't happen then he goes on to say that this new virus that is paralyzing children the enterovirus 68 which entero meaning in the body was a man made by someone who tweaked the polio virus and made it stronger and more fast acting he said he studied this new virus and that it's the only way it could have come about and that it was deliberately released into the public now having said all that I was already thinking this as I'm sure most of you were but to hear it come from an MD who has access to this information is very alarming. I personally think, and he said he does too, that war on our soil with our own country is imminent and it won't be long. I wrote prep, 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 and prep some more because it's not just uneducated people like the media when talking about conspiracies. It's highly educated and trusted people who believe this is going to happen. And I just said to take care. That was back in 2014 talking about like, look, man, they're going to try and do something. Right. You know, I mean, so, you know, me and Steve have been in this game for a long time. Um, you know, I've, I've had people say, hey, do, do you get any satisfaction about some of the things you've been talking over the last three years come come to fruition? And the answer is absolutely not. We're, we do this podcast as, as uh, you know, truth seeking and trying to get information out to the public. Um whether whether it's something that you agree with or not, again, that's why we always give both sides. But uh, it's but, scary. It's but scary I will sometimes. say this, man: it is it is more. I've seen more people waking up in the last five months than I have in the last five years. Me too, and uh, it's refreshing. So honestly, it, it doesn't matter when somebody wakes up, as long as they're waking up, and then just you know, take them under your wing and you know, show them the ropes of the things that you've known and been looking into for years and, you know, point them in our direction. Let us help a little bit as well. Um, the odds are if it doesn't feel right, it's not right. Yeah. I mean, trust your instincts. I mean, nothing about what this whole world is experiencing right now is right. Uh, if we're going to base everything off of uh, off of statistics in this world, then why aren't we basing this whole crisis off of statistics, which don't make any sense whatsoever. And, it's time to get everyone back to work and back to the way that they choose to live their lives. Not, not how they're being instructed to or told to or being lied to that these are laws that you must follow. 
No, no governor in any state in this United States can write law with his voice. Just know that it can't happen. That's why we have the legislative, judicial branches. We have there, there's processes. So just know, don't tell people that wearing masks is a law, unless uh, your local state has passed that as a law. But here in ours, it's all propaganda. Steve, final words. Yeah, I mean that we, we've been talking about Gates. We've been kicking Gates's name around, and to dig down and find out what the history is behind his measures gives you a better look at where he's going and why people are saying the things about him that they're saying. It's not because he was a computer geek sitting in an office for the last 40 years. It's because his family was running Planned Parenthood, has always wanted population decrease, it's because he has the ability to put a tag in the vaccine. He has the ability to put things in the vaccine. And, I'm, and I mean, if you look at the past, you can predict the future. That's right. This man's whole life comes down to his legacy. Maybe he wants to finally uh, feel his father's pride, so to say, in, in another uh, level of uh, enlightenment when he when he goes to wherever he goes to after he dies and say look I, I did it I did control the world population on a grand scheme and I was able to eliminate 15% of the population for the betterment of humanity in his opinion but if you talk to the 15% of the people that he killed it's not the betterment of their humanity no and nobody's going to look at him as honorable because everyone's going to say oh well you're living up to an ex expectation to honor somebody who's dead by killing more of us people are going to be like up yours and people are I mean check out his Instagram check out his social media it is just <laughs> loathing at, at its finest if you will but uh, yeah I mean Bill Gates we, we, you're just going to need to make make to make make a decision on your own. I mean, what we deliver here tonight, yeah, it, it can be shocking, but it's just basically the tip of the iceberg. That's just the cliff notes on Gates. I mean, everyone likes to. I'm not discrediting the man by saying by any means not not saying that he's not uh, extremely smart. But everyone else always wants to say, oh, he was so smart. He dropped out of college and didn't need it. Well, no, he dropped out of college. It was because his dad was also best friends with the guy that started IBM and promised him an internship in the event that he'd left college. And then they basically, they, they merged the companies into what modern day, what is now modern day Microsoft or a, or a different company. But uh, Gates was the whole Gates family was involved from the beginning. They had Planned Parenthood. They had IBM. And I'll tell you what, maybe we'll cover it on another show. But why don't you look into the guy that created IBM? Shady at, at, at the highest level. But, uh, yeah, maybe we'll have to do a show on him. But uh, I love it, Fultz. I had a good time. I did, too. So there's the information. Do with it, if you will. Do what you think is best for your own family. And until next time, I'm Fultz. And I'm Steve. And we'll see you next time. Take care of one another. Bye-bye.